Welcome to the Faily Tale Show. I'm your host and curator of fails, Akash Manthar. In this show, we have conversations with our very accomplished guests about their tales of fails. Let's jump right in and start learning from the collective failures of humanity, because it's story time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Faily Tale Show. Joining us today to share their tale of fail is Kurt Collins. I first met Kurt when we were both working on the Halo franchise at Microsoft. We have since then worked together at Electronic Arts on the virtual economy platform. And Kurt is currently a senior technology project manager at Box. Kurt has also previously had his own companies and run them. By the way, Kurt is one of the most hands-on person I know. He's always prepared and he's always up to fixing things, be it cars, houses, or jumping into code and building things, including games. So welcome to the show, Kurt. Thank you. Thanks very much. It's uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, and uh, Kurt is literally the definition of failures, so that it's almost become a noun and a verb. So if you ever hurt yourself while playing tag or something, it's generally called you're cutting it. Uh, so what fails do you have for us today, Kurt? Yeah, I was going to go through a previous company that I had right after the late 90s with the dot-com boom happened. A group of us broke off and decided to do our own thing. And our goal was to actually learn from the failures of the dot-com boom. It was a lot of fun. We started up with just a software development company at the time and wanted to work from there, owning our own future, doing whatever you know was interesting or exciting to us at the time. Interesting. So what was the company called and what did you guys do? Yeah, um, the company was called Cursive Code. And we started out with just custom website development and started partnering with all the local marketing companies around Seattle area at the time. We saw a need where they had a lot of design. They didn't have really the tech, the uh, knowledge or skill set to deliver web development or web offerings for the customers. What was the failure? That seems like a very good thing what you guys were doing. So how did it fail? <laughs> it was, uh, so what happened is we actually did very well. We, we grew our brand, we grew the company, uh, worked close hand in hand with a whole bunch of different marketing companies in Seattle area. They were international and also national larger brands. From there, we got recognition to branch out a little bit. What we had the opportunity was, is where we kind of made our name there's a restaurant down in Las Vegas called Oriole that wanted to do wine tablets. Nowadays, it's a 99 cent app that you can run on iPads. Back then, that didn't exist. So we started working with HP, and they were coming out with a tablet PC at the time, but they weren't ready for about another year. So before then, we started running with some Linux technology, some web pads at, the, at that place, and we're able to actually launch uh, interactive uh menu that the customers at the restaurants could hold and actually sort through and run through all these different wine tablets. The failure was knowing when to quit. And that's kind of the very end of the story that happens to us, you know, just trying to hold on like, oh yeah, we can do this one more year or we can do it six more months. You know, we'll figure out how to make this happen instead of, instead of reading the tea leaves and understanding, um, no, you need to, you, you need to cut the cord and just be done. Stop investing in this product when it's not going to happen anymore. Interesting. So just so I understand, so back in late 90s, you had like this tablet, which was like an interactive menu, and you can just scroll through different wines and menus and stuff and order? 
So, yeah, it, it was a little bit more than that. Uh, the whole concept was the restaurant itself had this thousand different wines that you could choose from. That was kind of their gimmick. And they had a big old wine tower. I think it's still there. You can go in and actually, if you pick the more selective wines, they're at the very top of the tower. And they have these things, these girls called cat uh, wine angels that would hook up to a rope and it would pull them up and they'd pull their wines out for you. So it was a, it was a big show, lots of excitement. The, the challenge they ran into was a printed menu like that was a big book. And when they would run out of wines or they would 86 a wine, instead of reprinting the entire book that got too cost effective, they would go through with black markies and just kind of mark out things. Or if they added a new wine, they would have to add a page where it's out of order now with everything else for all their menus. So we started with just a very, very basic concept of wine menu. This is your wine. This is what you get to do. Here's what you can pick from. And then we started branching out from there and growing it a little bit where you can start getting wine pairings from the chefs, you know, pretty common stuff that you get in the restaurants today. You know, this menu, this wine goes well with this menu. Then we started pulling in um, Wine Spectator Awards and partnered with the Wine Spectator um, company with Marvin Shankin, who owns Wine, wine Spectator and Cigar Aficionado, to bring in their their awards and their uh, referrals as well. And we could start partnering with them on, on a B2B platform of if you like this wine at this restaurant, go to these other restaurants, you'll be associated with it. And we'll know that you like this type of wine or this varietal at this restaurant. Uh, uh, and that was a Charlie Palmer franchise. If you go to another chef's franchise, then you're going to get uh, similar pairings for you to kind of make it easier for the customer itself to go through and start setting out what they wanted or what they like. The plan was to roll it into uh, personal wine shopping at the end of the day too. So you could go home, get an email, said, Hey, you like these wines? This is where you can buy them from, or here's, Here's our businesses that are associated that can ship to your door, depending on what state you're in. You know, we kind of navigate all the different laws for each state for how you ship everything. That's very interesting. And and you said you fail when you didn't know what was the right time to call quits on it. Um, yeah. Can, can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we actually did really good. We, we started growing. We got successful. We actually got a launch with Microsoft's tablet PC at the time. The current VP at Microsoft is a guy named Sam George. We worked with him when he was kind of launching the um, the tablet PC brand, uh, along with Dick Brass, uh, who was in charge of it at the time, too. And they brought us on board as the first non-Microsoft product that would launch on this tablet PC. And we got to do kind of a whirlwind show, get out there in front of everybody. We launched with Microsoft up on stage. Hey, cool. This is us doing our thing. And then we did a big party at Oriole and launched. So we got to roll in all the inking technologies and all the handwriting technologies that go along with it. And that's that's kind of where we made that good partnership with Microsoft how to go forward. At a certain point, this got successful and and in the restaurant industry, they you kind of keep up with the Joneses where uh, one chef will want to keep up with the other chef. So we met with uh, Bobby Flay and Wolfgang Puck and a couple of the other celebrity chefs that were that were big at the time and started figuring out different products and, and marketing styles that we could go with each one of them. Hey, you can have this exclusive feature for a year for X number of dollars. You can have this exclusive feature for an X number of dollars. And it was doing really successful, really well. People were getting really excited into it. What what the challenge was is first, it was um, it was a four-partner company. So there's four of us in, uh, in total. And one of the partners started just kind of waning off and losing interest. And he was kind of a marketing guy or sales guy that we were relying on to start doing these communications with the chefs or doing the communications with the different businesses. He, he would weigh enough, disappear on us and then come back. And one, we're like, dude, he helped us found this. We got to keep him involved. We got to keep, you know, we've got to give him opportunities to keep coming back and making up for, for challenges that happened. It didn't, after 
two or three probably should have read, you know, understood that that was not the right, the right call and we should move on instead of trying to go with nostalgia and kind of partnering together and, and, you know, keeping the team rolling. After that, it started falling off a little bit more where one of the other partners did the same thing. He got, it was kind of shiny rocks in different areas, got more interested in, in new things instead of uh, continuing with the same product. He started disappearing and then two of us stayed on and said, okay, we can keep doing this. And we did. I mean, we still had a successful amount of product coming in. I had a 30 employee company uh, at that point too. We were, we were partnered downtown Seattle up in the Western building. We uh, had also started our own hosting company at the same time. So we had branched out from Cursive Code and we got cute. We had Cursive Hosting and then I had Cursive Entities, which was the, the main company that kind of oversaw everything. And we shifted from doing the restaurant business. We still had money. We still made good money on that, uh, paid the bills a little bit. And we shifted the business to hosting, which is where a lot of our marketing uh, marketing partners came with, all the advertising companies inside Seattle and, and around the area. The, but with the, with the sign of the times, um, our costs were getting a little ahead of ourselves and uh, the products were waning. Uh, we had relied, we had put too much reliance on the restaurants to kind of carry the load for us so that we could have all sorts of fun and do what we wanted. And when things got slow, instead of understanding that we were new to business, new to understanding how to do proper forecasting, we're like, no, we can just power through this. You know, we're, we're small and ragtag. We ran it like we were still just a four person startup instead of understanding where everything else went into. Um, and that's where it just kept. Smart thing would have been we had a lot of money in the bank. Uh, we could have paid our debts, walked away, and been successful for a long time. Um, just on what was there. Instead, we just kept pushing and going, okay, we got the money. We can keep kind of limping through this next quarter or limp through the next couple months and see, you know, and, you know, hope and dreams. We're, we're young. We're, we're strong. We, we can do this. Looking back, the smart thing would have been, okay, forecast is not good. Let's cut our let's cut our losses now. We can still everybody make out successful, and then we can you know circle back and refocus. Do we need to um, start up another business? Do we all need to go get real jobs? You know what do we need to do at that point? But instead, I would you know the decision was made for us, kind of kicking and screaming at the end, which is it's a life lesson, but it wasn't a fun one to learn. Uh, I bet it wasn't. Um, so if if I were to try to summarize this, so a there were a couple of partners who started losing interest in the business. The second one was essentially your costs were going up and your main product um, started waning a little bit, but you couldn't really catch it uh, on the down. So if you were to look back again, uh, was there something in your entity formation or like things where if certain partners were leaving or losing interest, you could have done something different or was that not a consideration? I think that's definitely something to where if we would have, and we, it was four people, $75 C Corp. So it was like, yeah, let's just start something. We didn't care about bylaws or any of that. That's definitely some of the things that people should understand and think about when they're forming any sort of partnership. It sounds harsh. Like, if, you know, two guys, best buds, they've been there forever. They're going to go do something together. Still set those rules. What it does is it helps make the tough conversations easier down the road. You know, hey, this this is what the buyout process is going to look like. This is what the participation clause is going to look like. You know, if, if you start waning or losing interest, you know, we're going to buy you out at X percent or something. Um, or if you just want to separate and split the company, 
you know, we'll have buyout clauses and, and how the shares are, or how the percentage and ownership goes. The upfront cost of having either finding some templates or something you're used to, or just hiring a lawyer and having them write up the paperwork for you, that little bit of upfront cost you're going to run into will save you pain, you know, might save you friendship, uh, save you financially down the road, save you a lot of stress and um, a lot of other ancillary pieces that'll come along with that. Yeah, no, I think that's very important. Um, when I was starting up my companies and stuff, this was something I was advised multiple times. Um, and I think you also advised me. It's like, just, just pay the upfront cost and just deal with it. It feels like a lot when you're doing it on a shoestring budget and you don't have something and you're like, we'll figure it out later. It's better to just get it done right from the get-go. So I, I feel you on that one. Um, also time changes, people's priorities change. Um, and suddenly somebody is still like a fourth owner in the company and they're maybe not pulling their weight. Um, so there have to be ways through which you can adjust. So it's very important. On on the on the costs increasing in the product waiting part, the cost when you mentioned that you would probably have read the forecast better and adjusted. But on the product waning, what happened? Like it seemed to be really popular with all the chefs and everyone. So why did that start going down? There was there there was an area where we relied on each other for different strengths and weaknesses. And really it was that marketing guy who had the business, had the in with the restaurant industry. He knew either directly some of the partners that we need to do, or he understood how to get around the the barrier to entry for new partners. Definitely skilled at the time, really, really good at what he did, but the other thing that you need to take into account on anything you do is you're not the best at it. You, you know, always understand that you're replaceable. And that's what we should have done is just gone. Okay. We can find a new sales guy. We can find somebody else that will go because this was a 40 hour a week job of pounding the pavement, you know, making those relationships with the different, with the different um, chef groups or their companies that, that we'd partner with. Um, and then like in Vegas, you also had to run around and understand the relationship, not only with the restaurant itself, but since we tied into their networks or we use some of their Wi-Fi, we had to go through the casino security and we had to go through legal with casinos themselves or the Luxor, or I, I think there's still Luxor might've been bought out, but there, there's like, once you get through one stage, there's a couple more barriers that you're going to, that you discover that you're not aware of. When you're doing just a single restaurant, awesome. So like we did Charlie Palmer's in New York, we did Vegas, and we did um, Washington, D.C. were the first places we started. New York was the easiest one. That was 100% Charlie. So he did, he just gave us carte blanche to do whatever. But once, but when we did Vegas, that was a whole new level of hoops because the casinos with all the SEC security and the rules that they have for money and for who you can pay and for everything else took a lot of legwork. And that was just... That was a full-time job for the marketing guy at the time. That was the one that actually paid off the most, so that was worth it. But when we started having issues with him, that's when we should, you know, at some point we should have just made the decision, okay, you know, let's start branching out and look for, looking for a replacement. So what happens is, like, with any skilled individual, I'm sure you're aware of, is when you lose that person and you don't have somebody in the, in the wings ready, you're going to have a dip in productivity to be able to um, – replace it. So either you need to be financially set to understand where that dip's going to happen, or you have already done the due diligence to have somebody else come in. And if you can do it amicably, that's awesome. Sometimes you can't. Uh, amicably would probably be the nicest way to do a handoff. 
if, if it's if it's more of a harsh termination, then then you definitely need to have either be ready for that that dip in productivity or even a learning curve for the new person that you bring in. Okay, so they're all kind of related then. Uh, what what happened with the other uh, endeavors, such as the hosting stuff that you guys were doing? So hosting was a lot of fun. It kind of ran into the same issue of with uh, with the advertising companies. You know, they would come in and we'd either do pitches together. You know, hey, we can provide this sort of technology to support this thing. And we had a pretty good um, list of customer base that we we provided on that. Um, the whole reason we did the hosting initially is because every time we built a website, we shipped it off to some other uh, rack space or some other company. And I started looking at that after a year going, we just lost out so much money that we could have had just by having it ourselves. Uh, and I had spent two years working through a partnership with another company to where uh, we could we could partner with them. I took over part of their business, and that's how I was able to afford the cost of bringing up a hosting company. Uh, so we're a minority owner in a in a smaller end business out there, um, but we it was another one to where I I you know I thought I could just push forward and say okay cool when these when these uh, marketing companies come to us or these advertising companies come to us and need more help you know we'll handle it ourselves we're good to go you know I'm, we're writing code I got uh, one of my main partners was uh, dedicated 100 to code. Um, I, I jumped in basically wherever I could for anything. So I did marketing or I did PM work or I did um, sales or shoot, I was running to Costco and buying soda pops for the office, you know, just whatever I could do to get everybody still being a good machine. So I figured I would just pick up that slack with the marketing company and it, it became overwhelming. And, and that was a pride issue at that point too. It was like, okay, you know, I should have been smarter about how I how I partnered with this and delegated a little bit more work. You know, we had enough employees I could have hired a couple more people to probably spread some of this out, but it was just such a um, focused on the every penny to where it's like, okay, we got work coming in. I only want people to you know working on things that make money. I don't want to try to put any extra costs, and I'll pick up all that nonprofit work myself instead. And it just it spread too thin, and I, I think that's where it started with with uh, me and the final partner, um, just having a little bit of divisiveness around perception of what people are doing. I see. Any other final words of wisdom for our listeners? <laughs> um, don't be afraid to fail. That's probably the biggest thing that, and th- I mean, that's what this podcast is about, is, is learning from those failures. Uh, there, there's many as highly successful to... Um, don't don't define every success as I have to make a, mil- a billion dollars or a million dollars. Success is how you define it. Do you want to just be um, independent? You're not working for a large corporation, but, but you can still make your own bills. Do you want to be able to define for your uh, support your family? And being able being willing to fail is understanding that risk when you go into the project. Like one, don't it's just like gambling. Don't don't expect to win every time understand what the loss will be and what the potential loss is and know when to cut that cord. Th- those are probably some of the biggest things that you can do is just be pragmatic about it. Uh, you know, don't, don't put a lot of hopes and dreams on something if it's going to highly impact you or if you have a family, your family as well, you know, understand where that line needs to be. And that, that was probably a big, big thing for me was, you know, I, I finally grew up and said, you know, I looked at my wife one day and said, I got to get a real job. I can't do this anymore. You know, we, we need to pay bills. We got kids coming. Uh, we got a mortgage. 
definitely, definitely important to have these trigger points before you jump onto a journey to be like, when enough is enough, because you can't always just will it. Thank you so much for your time, Kurt. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with all of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Have a good day, sir. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fairy Tale Show. Until next time, keep learning.